Mickey Turner. You can find me online on Twitter at TurnerESQ. I'm also a contributor with The Athletic and Sound Nerd Heart, and I write for my own website, SoccerESQ.com. And it's been a little while since I have recorded a podcast. I've been traveling throughout the months of August and September. Um, most recently, I was out in Washington, D.C. to cover a Seattle Sounders game. And I also had the opportunity to sit in with the head of the MLS Players Association, Bob Foos, and get his thoughts on the current state of negotiations between the players and MLS. As many of you know, the collective bargaining agreement uh, expires at the end of January 2020, and therefore there needs to be a new agreement or else there is the risk of no MLS soccer for the 2020 season. So I sat in with Bob, who has been the head of the MLS players for quite some time, has done a number of these negotiations, and I wanted to get his thoughts on the current state of negotiations between the players and MLS. So I started out talking about the charter situation, which has been a flashpoint these past couple of months in MLS with players complaining about less than uh, good co accommodations getting to and from games. So I wanted to chat with him and talk about the charter situation and where the players come down as far as the negotiations that are going to be coming up with MLS are. Um, on the charter thing, uh, I haven't been able to get an answer to this, and I don't know if you can give it to yeah. me. Uh, just the, on the cost, what... I remember Tenor, Paul Tenorio did a story. I think he said it was like a million dollars a year per team if they were to fully charter everything. Is it is that in the ballpark? It's in the ballpark. I think that's a little low. I think it's a little higher than that. Okay. Um, but it's obviously extremely variable, so it's yeah. hard to – there isn't an exact answer to it. Mm -hmm. um, and we've had good dialogue with the league on what that looks like. I don't think we're – I don't think it's a big – Disconnect there in terms of each of our understanding of what, of what it's going to mean, and um, and it's a big cost. There's no question about it. It's not, you know, um, it's significant, and it has to be part of a broader um, set of decisions being made about the business. Uh, it seems like there's like as three. I said, yeah. it's just, we should be so much further. further not, even not. It doesn't even have to be so much further. I mean, if we were. If you picked off the five worst trips by now, we'd be in a much better situation. Like Vancouver and, going to Orlando. <laughs> or yeah, our, exactly. our say, well, yeah. there's some of that. There's also, you know, midweek games are huge. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes even the short flights are the ones um, where teams can get home on a, you know, even if it's two o'clock in the morning, you play Saturday night and you can sleep in your own bed that night. That makes a big difference over getting home the next afternoon and uh, another night in a hotel. And then often with commercial, it's, you know, so you'll play a night game, you're up late anyway, and then you'll either have an absurdly early flight so you're not getting enough sleep, or if it's a late flight, then you're not getting home. And, and you know, it's, it, it's a, it makes a difference. It's real, and uh, it's not the way to recover from a game <laughs> physically. And... Um, so it, you know, it has an impact for sure. So and one of the things when I wrote the original story, uh, I was talking to the Sounders guys because obviously when we found out that they didn't use any of their charters last year, or maybe it was the year before, um, and they said one of the things that was kind of in play is like maybe regional chartering, like uh, Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver would uh, you know, share the cost yeah. or maybe charter, you know, use the same company or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, have you guys discussed some of that stuff and 
is the league receptive, or are they really? Because yeah. I'm just wondering. It's one thing to get them to agree to do all this stuff. It's the other one to get them to you know, mandate it. So, yeah. how is that? Has it gone anywhere? Or is it just the same? You know, there's owners that are just really pushing back on investing. I don't in that think way. so. I, I, you know, there are valid concerns about making sure you manage the costs, but I don't think I think that the conversation at this point is, you know, this is an inevitability. It has to be. And the question is how we're going to get from here to there, and um, hopefully that happens efficiently. And, and we're certainly in favor of efficiency there. And uh, I'm not an expert on it. We've poked around. We've uh, we've talked to some companies mm -hmm. just to get a handle on what it looks like. The NBA was using Delta, I think, for everybody in a league-wide deal, and that's now broken up. And um, there are some challenges there because of the fact that the games are played more or less at the same time so it's not like you know you 24 teams you probably need 12 planes on a weekend it's not like you can have one plane that services yeah. several so that's um, that's got some complexity but it's you know, not something that others haven't figured out in yeah. other ways so uh, it can get done and uh, and can get done effectively and I think the other um, you know honestly the other piece of this is just an overall quality level at the on the management side and how you deal with these issues. I mean, NBA charters get postponed at times. I mean, there are delays in the system, right? You don't hear about them because somebody is paying a lot of attention and you know moving heaven and earth to fix whatever issues arise from whatever delays happen. And, Yes, some of that's cost-based, but not all of it. Uh, some of it's just, you know, raising the level, raising the standard, and expecting that everybody's going to live up to that standard. And if they don't, suffer. Uh, and we don't see that now. Um, so we had hoped there would be a competitive aspect to this and that we would see teams wanting to do more and pulling others along, and it's very disappointing that we haven't seen any of that so that puts us in a situation where it makes the issue a different issue and and part of the bigger piece of you know are we really ready to be who we say we're trying to yeah. be um, so that's uh, you know that's certainly that's certainly part of it I think it's gotten a lot of attention for obvious reasons um, I think I saw somebody characterize it as the biggest issue in this negotiation, it and it's not that. <laughs> um, and it's not also nearly as contentious as people think it is. Interesting. It's, it's something to be managed and something that matters and something that we need to see happen. But, um, you know, we're not sitting across the table arguing over whether flights should be chartered or not. As you can see, there are a lot of moving parts regarding the charter issue in MLS. Talking with Bob and then also with some players, it's pretty clear that they all understand that the cost of the charter system or a full charter system in MLS is significant. Um, the fact that a million dollars per team uh, per year is the baseline in the ballpark, but Bob said it was not, it was not, it was on the low side is certainly something that is significant and is something that 
the players and MLS are going to have to move through. Uh, the The question really is, if you're able to get some type of agreement on charters, the issue then is going to be whether you can get all of the owners to buy in on a full system of charters and being able and forcing them to actually implement it and use it. It's one thing to authorize, you know, teams to do what they want. It's another team to get another thing to get them to actually do it. So it's uh, an issue, again, that Bob says is not as contentious as maybe uh, people have thought, but is something that they need to get moving on from his his perspective. So I thought that was interesting um, that, you know, as far as priorities go, um, it may not be near the top, but it's certainly something that uh, they want to move the ball forward on. And so I thought that was very interesting from uh, from Bob. On another topic, I asked him also about the targeted allocation money and general allocation money uh, systems that MLS has implemented throughout the years. TAM is a relatively recent uh, program that was designed to get, quote unquote, higher quality players into the league. So I wanted to get Bob's thoughts on on the TAM system generally and specifically whether he wants to see it around or at least allow more players access to that system. Yeah, so uh, on another issue which you raised on uh, on the TAM issue, I know there's been a lot of talk about the position, just get away, get a, get rid of it. Uh, what This issue hit for home in Seattle because a couple of years ago, uh, I think Stephen Fry, or at least there were reports, actually Fry confirmed it, so yeah. Uh, yeah, he and Jovan Jones basically had TAM deals rejected by the league, and Jovan Jones obviously left uh, yeah. for Germany. Uh, had... Is that stuff still going on as much, or has the league kind of loosened up? And where do you kind of, you know, yeah, do, you want to see Tam go away? And do you think that's likely to happen? I, I don't know that it has loosened up. I think it still is out there. I think it still happens. I don't. I don't think Tam has done anything to improve the league. I think it. I think the opposite. Actually, I, I think it's it's over management, over regulation. This idea of. of a central blueprint and how to build a roster just doesn't isn't borne out by any experience we've seen in sports anywhere in the world, in our sport or any other. It's just it's um, it, it's it just ignores the realities of what actually happens in teams and in local markets. To have folks sitting in New York trying to design the perfect roster build. Uh, and and the the one of the negative consequences, which is unfortunate, is we're, so we're in a situation now this many years in, and there's all these roster construction models that we don't even know how well they would compete. So you know, for example, I think the lowest, I think the lowest, the team that's spending the lowest on player comp is somewhere in the seven to eight million dollars. And yet we don't know what a team would look like that was constructed from a sort of 250 to 400 for 20 guys, which would fit within what everyone is spending, but you're not allowed to construct your roster yeah. that way. It just doesn't, at this stage in our league, it's, it's, it's a terrible opportunity wasted when we're talking about quality of play mattering. And yet, and, and acknowledging that the Mexican, we're not competing effectively enough with the Mexican clubs, and yet, that's how the Mexican clubs construct their rosters for the most part. Yeah. And we don't let our teams do it because supposedly the mousetrap that was built in a boardroom is uh, is more important than letting the people who actually know the game 
run their own franchise. What do you think that is? What the what is the uh, reasoning for behind them doing this now? Is it just they think that model worked in the past? You know, say the twenty guys making two fifty as opposed to I, I three guys it, making you know it, a million and the rest making a hundred. I think it comes back originally to some real concerns and real issues. You know, how do we not be the NASL? So, you know, what they did was construct a system in the first instance that stripped away every player right there was imaginable because the players weren't represented at the time. So they dropped down this system that uh, allowed them to have a centralized trial and error system. And it's a different conversation to talk about how effective that was, how necessary it was 20 years ago. Now, I don't think there's any argument that it makes any sense where we are, regardless of what you think about that. We can't compete with uh, the best leagues in the world with this kind of system where someone in another city is telling the technical folks in a market what they can and can't do and who they can and can't sign and who they have to prioritize between who they've seen play and who's not never played in the league, those kind of things. We have to get beyond that. It's, uh, you know, we've made and others have made the analogy of the training wheels. I mean, it's their giant training wheels, and if they don't come off the league, then we're going to be exactly what we are now. Uh, just a good league, but not a league that's that's competing with the best leagues in the world. So, so, on t uh, so Tam to me makes no sense. Do you think it'll? What do you think the league's position is on that at this point? Do you I think, think they the think it's worked? Is, I think they do. I think they think it's worked. I think they are, you know, they want to have the ability to create a new TAM when they see fit, um, whatever that would look like. And uh, unfortunately, I don't just don't think that's something that's going to help the league and certainly not something that's satisfying for the, for the players or, uh, or that the, the players view as fair. And that's every player. That's not... You know, this isn't, there's no split on the players' pool on how guys look at this. Um, and it's, you know, it, 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 it makes no sense from a player perspective. Well, why would yeah. that, you know, it's just not anything anyone who's played anywhere else has contemplated or understands. And, uh, and frankly, even the domestic players who haven't played somewhere else don't understand it because it's not something you see anywhere yeah. else in, in the world. So... Um, I hope it goes away. I hope the system gets simpler. That's certainly what our goal is, is to, you know, be economically rational. And we understand the numbers. The league, to its credit, has, we've had full financial transparency okay. for over a decade now. So we, we know the business. When we're having conversations with them, they are conversations rooted in the reality of what the numbers say and where the business has come from and where it's going. Uh, and, and we don't have any incentive uh, as a player pool to, to break that. You know, we want this league the same as they do. We want it to get bigger and be more successful. Um, but we have, you know, some, some pretty big differences on how we think that should happen. So uh, I, since you bring that up, I, you know, I know people ask me, so does this uh, transparency include, like, some? Yep. It does include everything, that? Interesting. Everything, everything that they do... Most broad, the most broad sense of the word, we have access to. Yeah, yeah, okay. and have conversations. So that, and that dynamic, and I think people don't 
realize this, and frankly, I think even some of MLS's owners don't quite realize it, especially the ones that come from the other sports. That are, are, you know, this is fundamentally different than the other North American sports because of the global nature of yeah. the business. So an NFL owner and the NFLPA have to sit down across the table like this, and it's a, more or less a zero-sum game. Whatever the NFL owners don't give them, they put in their pocket. Yeah. That's not what MLS can be. If, if that happens and Building. the owners put it in their pocket, they devalue their asset and they're worth less because there are 65 other leagues around the world where that's not how it works. So it, it changes the dynamic and frankly should make us, should make it easier and more aligned on economics for sure because we should want the same thing and it should be easier to get us there. Now, you know, negotiations are difficult, collective bargaining is yeah. difficult, it doesn't always work that way. And as I said, I'm not sure all the owners quite, quite really even grasp how much this is the case, that that, that shouldn't be a big source of antagonism between the players in this league because it doesn't, if they don't spend the money, they, their leagues. <laughs> Goes away, doesn't, probably. It doesn't, you know, yeah, it doesn't grow, at least. To go up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that said, it, we also acknowledge it's got to be rational. It's not a question of, and I appreciate the fan viewpoint of, you know, th throw tons of money, wouldn't it be great? They're all rich. But that's not, you know, this is a business, and that's not our position that, that um, this is a you know, they should be spending money just because we want it, and they have it. Uh, the business has to make sense, and, and uh, it's a growing business, and we want to see player compensation grow in the same way that revenues grow. Again, very interesting comment from Bob on the TAM issue. It's pretty clear that if they had their druthers, TAM would go away, and they would just increase the cap by a commensurate amount and let teams do what they will to construct their rosters. Uh, it's pretty clear that he thinks that the training wheels need to come off of MLS uh, with their central control over, over contracts and allow teams to construct the rosters how they see fit. It's difficult to do that when you've got three DP slots that go to three specific players and then there's not a whole lot left to go around to the rest of the, of the roster. And then additionally, the money that is left to go to the rest of the roster, it's, 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 directed or wanting to be directed more towards uh, foreign international talent and U.S. players uh, potentially get uh, the short end of the shrift as far as the pie is concerned. So uh, my personal opinion is TAM is not likely to go away, at least in this round of, of the uh, collective bargaining agreement. But uh, there is probably room to allow teams to construct their rosters in a more diverse way. He talked a lot about uh, the Mexican League and how they have a more flat average of, of how their in, how the incomes of the players is distributed as opposed to having three high-priced price players, um, some TAM players, and then you're filling out the rest of your roster uh, with rookies and players on, on lower contracts. So I thought that was interesting um, from Bob, and well, actually, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Some of that is related to the revenue side of things, and I wanted to ask Bob also about the pending television deal. It's not up until the end of 2022, but the uh, 
this most recent uh, collective bargaining agreement, if they are able to come to an agreement, will likely go through when that TV deal is negotiated. So I wanted to ask him about his thoughts on the TV deal, whether MLS is in line uh, for increase, and whether he's optimistic that they can get what they need to increase revenue. I assume you're not really privy to the negotiations that are going to be going on uh, with the next TV deal and stuff like that necessarily, but uh, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on where things are going to be in 2022. Yeah. Um, and plus, you're getting, you know, assuming you guys reach a deal, it'll be kind of that TV deal will be right in the middle of the next yeah. Uh, agreement. Yeah, yeah. So t- two sides of that, right? The latter piece yeah. is it's you know maybe the simpler answer, which is. We have there needs to be a solution there from our side because the world may change. So mm-hmm. that's part of the negotiation is um, has been and will continue to be figuring out a way to make that happen so that we can feel comfortable that with when when that new deal happens that it's that it impacts the current CBA in the appropriate way. The broader <laughs> industry wide worldwide question is much, much harder, and I'm certainly not an expert. It's the one thing I can say that's striking and a little frightening is I don't know that anybody knows um, what the world's going to look like from that standpoint in five years. Um, we're starting to maybe get a picture of what it's going to look like in two or three, but um, you know, the way things, the way content is consumed is totally different than it was five years ago, so after this fairly consistent decades of sports broadcasting and understanding how it works, and you need to grow your, you know, you grow your eyeballs, there's some real advantages to sports, and they're still there, you know, there aren't very many captive audiences anymore, and sports is the one that you still have, but, uh, you know, just silly anecdotal things like watching my children and, you know, how they consume the sports content that's out there is is completely different. So what does that mean? It's going to mean change, obviously. It's going to mean some new players, although now everybody's been talking about this forever. But I think some of these digital companies are clearly coming in 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 some way. Um, And we have some advantages and some disadvantages as a league in dealing with that. We can be a little more flexible, a little more nimble, because we're younger. And frankly, we have less to, you know, (laughs) less risk in, yeah. in walking away from dollars. Um, but we're also, same thing can be said as a disadvantage, right? We're, we're also last, I think, in the, in the cycle. All five leagues are up. Oh, okay. In about a, I think it's a 12-month period or a 50- or 18-month period, and we're last. Now, baseball started doing some early deals, so, and maybe that's what will happen. Um, but that also could be an advantage. It could be a disadvantage for us. We don't know, right? I mean, yeah. it could be. Hopefully, all the money won't be gone. Then, <laughs> um, you know, best case scenario for us, somebody who got spurned elsewhere, you know, ponies up, ponies up. And um, again, there is an. Inter- I think there's a little bit of a different differentiator for us with the global market. I think, and to me, in a long term sense, that's going to have to be part of the answer. Is you know, we can make broadcasting money around the globe and probably a higher percentage of our broadcasting dollars will be not from the U.S. and Canada than the other leagues, I would assume, uh, over time uh, because we have such a diverse player pool and, yeah. and there's, uh, if we do all do our jobs right, then we'll have real appeal and 
lots of places all around the world. So, um, but there's big factors, other big factors involved too, from a just from a soccer perspective, in that you know there's just too much access yes. here. Yeah, and it hurts us. It was a big help in, I think, really transforming how the sport was viewed in North America. In, yeah, well, yeah. But now, uh, it doesn't help when you know you can't see every Premier League game in England, and you can see everyone here. You can see every you know it's something like a last. This this may be an old stat, but by maybe a factor of three or four, how much more is available here than anywhere in the world. I think Australia is the only country where it's even been close. So, yeah, this, that's America, right? This yeah. is what we do. Mm -hmm. we, uh, we more flood ourselves bigger more, better. bigger, yeah. yeah. So that's a very, very, very long way of saying I have no idea yeah. what happened. <laughs> I, you know, I'm optimistic, certainly, about the where the league's going. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would hope, and I think we all hope and expect, that there'll be a... a you know, material increase in broadcasting revenues in the next deal, and um, we'll have to see. You know, we'll have to see what exactly that looks like. The experts, the people who really do know this world, who I've talked to, nobody's feeling super certain about yeah. their predictions on anything. Yeah. So everybody seems to be throwing caveats left and right on how it will play yeah. out and, and what will happen. So, um, but they seem optimistic that. It, uh, Things will grow, or are they really just like fifty-fifty? Yeah, I mean, my personal belief is is very optimistic about where this league is going, and and what's going to be determined is the slope of the curve, not 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 where the where is result going. is. Yeah. yeah, I think it's how quickly we can get there. But I think you know, and this is a change. Um, we haven't had quite some time to think or talk a lot about the existence of MLS. And we did in the beginning of the PA. Yeah. I mean, we, that wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a certain yeah. thing. But, uh, and I don't, haven't thought about that in, in years now. Um, and that's great. And I don't think there's any question that the product's gotten better. I don't think there's any question that, um, really, that, that, that there have been improvements everywhere. And, uh, you know, I certainly believe speed those up in some places and the player pool believes that as well and um, and each side has their sincere opinions about how to get it done it's a question of where do we come out collaboratively and uh, and how much do we work together to get that done um, or how much do we fall into what you know the traditional PA league the, paradigm uh, has been and you know Again, maybe over-optimistically, but we are starting to see a little bit of a shift in that, I think, which is good with the early conversations yeah. happening uh, in the other sports. And I, I think that's a, a very positive um, development, if it is a development. Yeah. We hope it's a development. So. Some interesting comments there from Bob on the uh, television deal. Obviously, he's not an expert per se, but he's keeping his eye on how those negotiations go. And it's important, obviously, from the perspective of Increased revenue, it means increased money and resources to the players. And one thing that obviously people have kept their eyes on throughout the years is MLS TV ratings. They've increased modestly, but they haven't, uh, they're not nearly the levels of obviously the NFL, uh, putting that one completely aside. Um, the NBA, um, Major League Baseball, and NHL, and even the Premier League and uh, the Mexican League, Liga MX. So, 
uh, there's an argument to be made that uh, MLS is in, is probably only the third or fourth most popular soccer league in the United States um, behind EPL and Liga MX. So that makes it difficult for MLS to get their piece of the pie when it comes to uh, TV contracts because a lot of the money obviously starts off with the um, NFL and then NBA and then uh, NHL, baseball, and then certain college sports. And then we talk about Liga MX and and the Premier League, there's not a whole lot of a slice left to go to MLS. And those increased ratings are essential, or increased uh, revenues are essential for the players to get uh, more money because that allows for uh, bigger investments. And along those lines, I also wanted to get a brief comment from uh, Bob on the length of uh, the CBA that he's looking for as far as how long the deal would be. Uh, he had some interesting comments on there. They're probably not surprising in that he's looking for a shorter deal while MLS would probably want a longer deal. And he outlines a few of the reasons why uh, he would prefer the deal be a bit shorter. I think five years is, you know, we'd love to go shorter. I don't think it's likely to happen. And you, can, and you actually can be too short just from a disruption standpoint. Yeah. I mean, it is disruptive to all of us uh, to take time to do this, I think hopefully it's less so as time goes on because we should be becoming more effective in handling the process on both sides of the table. Um, we certainly don't want to go longer. There's no, no, uh, there's, there's substantive reasons. I just think, you know, back to broadcasting and everything else, it's very hard to predict where things are going to be. There's also a big philosophical piece of that because you start to get in a situation where you might have a player whose entire career doesn't include a, a new CBA, which means they don't have the ability to, to contribute yeah. to what the league looks like, and that philosophically is something that is uh, would be very troubling to me, um, you know, on behalf of our players. Yeah. I don't think that's something that should happen. Obviously, it's it's a little bit different dynamic in the other leagues, and, and certainly it's changed. If you had a fixed cut of revenues, there's less need to. Uh, sort of redo your economic model if yeah. you settle in on the right one. Uh, but we don't have that, so that, that piece isn't there for us at this point. And, um, yeah, so I would, you know, I, we certainly wouldn't go longer. And I suspect if you talk to them, they'll say the same thing about going shorter. Again, it's not overly surprising that Bob would want a shorter length collective bargaining agreement and that the, uh, the league would want a longer one. Longer deals provide cost certainty to the league. And shorter ones allow the players uh, the chance to renegotiate as conditions change. So not too much of a surprise there um, in the priorities uh, of, of the league and the Players Association. And speaking of priorities, I wanted to get uh, some comments from Bob on um, what exactly he and the uh, Players Association are looking for. And is there anything that they're prioritizing over another issue when they go into negotiations? We're not ranking them internally in any kind of formal way, um, so it's not like I can say yeah. this is one, one two, three, eight. that. But they're, you know, again, I don't think they're just surprises. We want to see players able to choose where they're going to work and where they're going to live and what kind of system they're going to play in. Uh, we think that makes us a better league. Uh, it certainly works uh, reasonably well all over the rest of the world, and nobody seems in a hurry to change it too much. Um, and we think the same is true here. I think that, the, again, the notion of uh, restricting movement is really 
in North America has flowed out of the police closed system. This notion that you have all the best players in the world here and nobody's going anywhere, so therefore, if you can control them, you control a lot. When you can leave <laughs> and go anywhere else in the world whenever you want, when you're out of contract, it just doesn't, the whole the thing breaks down. And what we see in our game that makes it even worse is there's so many different ways to play our sport because there are more people on the field at a time and, and systems really are wildly different. I mean, you look yeah. at basketball and um, there's five guys on the court and it's, you know, there's not crazy wild variations. You know, a, a guy who's an all-star in the NBA is a starter and probably a borderline all-star on another team too. In our sport, it can be a completely different system and a guy who's excelling in one may not be a fit over here. Uh, and a guy who's a starter here may not be a starter over here. And because of that, the league would be better and more efficient with guys able to go find the situations that make more sense uh, for them and for their families. So that's a big, a big piece of it. Yeah. You know, the TAM is certainly a part of it and more broadly just again opening up the system financially so that it's easier to understand and so that the teams are making their own decisions on how they're going to construct their rosters uh, and that's not you know that's not obviously some players aren't going to do better in that situation and, our, and, and guys understand that again back to the competition thing guys understand you compete for a spot there may not be anybody out there who wants to pay you uh, a lot of money, which is one of the funny things about free agency. I mean, yeah. there are losers in free agency yeah. too. There are guys who do super well, and then there are those who uh, there's no money left for when the, when it comes around time to, to sign them. So that's are something you, we accept, but yeah. it's it's real. So, are you uh, do you think you'll get some changes to the free agency uh, system? Be uh, you know, obviously this initial. One was very restrictive. <laughs> the principle. What we got last time was the principle. Yeah. We broke down what they had always maintained was the pillar of the league, that there would never be any competition ever amongst their owners. So, uh, yeah, there are massive limitations on what the system is right now. Uh, yeah. So there need to be significant changes in, in what it looks like going forward, and that's something that the you know, the player pool is very, very clear on. Um, in terms of in terms of money, there's the transparency piece and the fairness piece that's very important. You know, the minimums have to continue to increase. I think the discrepancy from top to bottom in particular rosters is is just it, it's it makes it very complicated. It makes it hard, I think, to compete effectively. Um, let alone that. We're moving out of this now, which is great. But you know, when you have guys who are having a hard time living in certain markets with what they're making, then they can't possibly be the professional athlete that they want to be if they're worried about uh, you know rent and and eating properly and things like that. So we need to see more of that. We also would like to see more um, more meaning more dollars, but also more efficiently and well thought out incentives in the system for the guys who are performing. Mm. Um, so that, 
you know, when you win bonuses and things like that. Yeah, when you perform on the field, and in particular, I think that's really important for the lower end of the salary scale, um, because it's one thing to have the back and forth of what the minimum should be, which is a guaranteed amount of salary. It's another thing to say, you know, if a guy's down here and he's starting 20 games a year, does that make any sense for anyone? And I think the answer is no. Uh, so some mechanisms to get those guys who are really contributing um, away from that, you know, bottom uh, is important as well, and um, will make us a better league. So those are sort of the, um, you know, the big issues. There are obviously some. Each of them encompasses multiple things, yeah. but um, you know, again, I think from a financial standpoint. Uh, it's that sort of notion of, of fairness and, and competition and, and, sim and simplifying the system. Uh, and then from a player movement standpoint, it's some of the same concepts, um, but it all boils down to a league that, that is looking and acting more like the leagues that we're trying to you know, have guys choose us over. The last thing I wanted to ask Bob about was fan support and the Iron Front. Uh, as many of you know, uh, the MLS Players Association put out a statement uh, several weeks ago in support of the fans being able to display the Iron Front logo, which has been the source of controversy throughout the league for the last couple of months. Recently, the league decided to change their position and lift the Iron Front ban from being displayed at games. I wanted to ask Bob about their support for the fans displaying the Iron Front symbol, as well as the support of the fans generally in collective bargaining negotiations, and get his thoughts on uh, whether he plans to use the support of the fans in the negotiations going forward. Yeah, and one of the things that from the last time around um, is the the fan support. I think behind the players was significant, which mm -hmm. is probably a bit different than other leagues, yeah. uh, you know, NFL uh, yeah. especially. And so I, I wonder if, did that come into your thinking at all in the decision last time to take the deal that was offered uh, by MLS? And does the fact that you will likely have the support of the fans in just a general public way, uh, would that influence your decision this time around? I don't. I don't think it. Uh, it can't really influence our decision. Uh, it, it's. It's relevant and hopefully relevant and and to what happens at the table. And I say hopefully relevant because it's something that that I certainly think management ought to be paying attention to in terms of what uh, the fan base thinks. You know, at the end of the day, again, there's a negotiation going on here and that negotiation only is going to end one way and that's with the deal and the question is when and so whether you have a stoppage or you don't have a stoppage there's going to be an agreement unless somehow the whole thing's going to go away and shut yeah. down which nobody wants to see happen and nobody expects is going to happen so um, you know how how the fan base perceives the negotiation is certainly relevant and sometimes can change opinions and um, and matters to all of us but it's not you know it's not driving what's going on at the table and I don't think it's unfortunately driving what's going on on the other side of the table nearly as much as one might hope <laughs> they are as much as some of them have very thin skin 
uh, and don't like to be criticized. They're also billionaires for a reason. Yeah. They're able to <laughs> make hard, cold financial decisions at times. So. Yeah, speaking of which, and I'll wrap up with this. So uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about uh, some of the stuff with the Iron Front, and I know you guys have put out uh, a statement, yeah. and obviously uh, it's an issue that appears not to be going away as much as the yeah. league may want it to. Yeah. Uh, so I was just curious, uh, what led you guys to decide to come out in support of of the fans and uh, yeah. just how have you kind of viewed uh, it, you know, from the players? From our side. Yeah, yeah I think it, it's, it's, a, it's pretty simple for us and pretty straightforward, and I would acknowledge it's it's more complicated for others. I think it's more complicated for the league than it is for us. For us, honestly, you know, it's a pretty terrifying time to be a person of color in this country, and half of our membership <laughs> fits that bill. That's not an exact number, but it's probably pretty close. And um, that's terrifying to me personally. I think it's it's scary for all of us, and. Uh, it's a pretty uh, inclusiveness is uh, it's never it's never none of these things are easy it's but it's kind of easy for us right I mean this is what we are we're a group of uh, of members from 70 some odd countries who um, have this bond and and play together and live together spend most of their time together and the idea that we're becoming less tolerant and less inclusive as a society is, is, you know, exactly the opposite way that we would like to see uh, our culture go. So um, from our standpoint, it was a pretty obvious position for us to take. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing, any of us, without our fans. They're the ones who, whose league it really is at the end of the day. And, you know, when we see groups of fans out there supporting inclusion, it's Honestly, kind of a no-brainer for me and for us to say, of course we're with them. Um, of course, that's what we want to see happen, and, and I think it's you know I think our players are very lucky, and I think they appreciate that they're very lucky to have a fan base that that I think sees the world that way a little more than probably the other fan bases in, in the other sports here. So, um, so that's where it, it you know that's where it came out for us. I want to thank Bob Foose from the Players Association for joining me on this edition of the Soccer ESQ podcast and giving me a little bit of insight into how the Players Association views the negotiations ongoing with MLS. Hopefully the sides are able to get to an agreement because we all want to see soccer played in 2020. And I want to thank everyone for listening to this edition of the Soccer ESQ podcast. You can find me on Twitter again at Turner ESQ. You can find my writing at The Athletic and at Sounder at Heart and SoccerESQ.com. And I want to thank everyone for listening.